traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Um, before you start going, and like with me, I got into fixing flips because I wanted to generate more income to buy more rental properties. And so that was the strategy that, that started me down that path. And now, you know, after buying an apartment building and kind of getting to that point, where is that now? Wait, so hold, hold on one second. So you, you plan to buy an apartment building or you have an apartment building? Hey, I hope you're enjoying the episode. I hate to interrupt, but I had to tell you about a community that I'm a part of. It's called The Morning Meetup. It's where hundreds of entrepreneurs gather every single morning. Look, we share ideas. We motivate each other. We share our successes. It's the perfect environment for you to not only grow as an individual, but as an entrepreneur. It's hosted by my mentor, David Shands. It's every day, Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. It's no better way to start your day. Look, We've got a book club. Imagine hundreds of entrepreneurs reading the exact same book on the exact same chapter. You get to discuss that book and share your thoughts. It's very motivating. It empowers you. and You're ready to start your day. You get all of that for only $1. After that, it goes to $79 a month. I have no doubts that you're going to want to stay and be a part of this community. Look, I'm there every single morning, 8 a.m. The only thing we're missing is you. The link is in the description. Go ahead, click the link. Try it out. Join the community. Look forward to seeing you in the morning. Welcome to Successfully Excludes Podcast, where I find regular people doing extraordinary and phenomenal things in corporate America and entrepreneurship. Today, I have with me the phenomenal man, Johnny Lin- <laughs> Sorry, Linham. And uh, he goes by uh, the military CEO. That probably tells you enough right there in that title. But I'm going to have him introduce himself real quick. Man, thank you for having me on here, brother, man. Honored to be here and uh, and be here and just kind of share with your audience and just talk a little bit about myself. And then, you know, and just some of the things I think the the principles to kind of get after success that people can kind of take away and implement and um, and make happen. Um, For me, man, you know, you know, born in Detroit, Michigan, moved down to lower Alabama, L.A. um, when I was about eight years old, uh, son of a preacher, Um, you know, some of preacher's kid. And, uh, you know, have one sister and, uh, you know, and just kind of grew up humble beginnings, man, rural Alabama, you know, grew up on a dirt road, you know, playing in the woods, deer hunting and, uh, you know, playing high school basketball, you know. But for me, I kind of always been kind of kind of keen to the academic side. Uh-huh. So, I, you know, was able to graduate academic scholarships and uh, was blessed to go to University of Alabama, man, where I got awesome. my bachelor's degree in um, electrical engineer. And commissioned as an officer in the Air Force. And, you know, I've been doing that now for a little bit over 16 and a half years now, um, serving. And at the same time, you know, my wife and I, we started our own uh, real estate investing company back in 2015. Well, that was a great introduction. You you, you touched on a lot of the things that I, I want to dig into. Um, but first and foremost, that I didn't even recognize is that uh, you said you're the son of a preacher's kid. And um, that probably ties in because I was curious about the title of your podcast and it's um, f- filling the storehouse, correct? Uh, well, no, no. So I guess I was a guest appearance on filling the storehouse with uh, uh, my man, Stu Grazier. Yeah. 
Okay. So, yeah. So we're in the same mastermind group uh, with Stu and it was on there kind of talking about just kind of the, the servant leadership and just, uh, you know, just the principles behind, you know, why it is that we do what we do when it comes to uh, serving, you know, with teaching, investing principles and then just kind of leading out front, you know, with the kind of a mind of a Christ, if you will, with just how we approach everything with our personal lives and even with business as well, too. Yeah. So um, dig, dig into that a little bit for me. Um, explain to the people what what you mean by servant leadership. Well, you know, I think that's the thing where is that you hear the cliche that uh, leaders always eat last. But, you know, it's really coming from, you know, those that are at the highest level or they serve those at the lowest level. You know, yeah. and so that's a principle where is that, you know, my mom always told me where is that always, look, you know, look out for the little guy. You know, you never want to get to the point where you think you're better than somebody. And but at the same time, even if you're a janitor, you know, you be the best janitor um, that you can be. And I think that that kind of I took that the print those principles with me, you know, even today with just being, you know, server first and, you know, being in the military, you know, where, you know, service before self is one of our key principles and yeah. you know, core competencies that, you know, it's just it's kind of been ingrained to me, ingrained in me from a kid, um, you know, all the way through life. And I think, you know, just to be able to chase that feeling of helping somebody, the feeling that you feel when somebody says, hey, yep, you stepped in. And I couldn't be here or I couldn't do this without your help. It's, it's no it's no better feeling uh, than that feeling just to have that conversation with somebody. You know, you had you positive. You had a positive impact on them. Yeah. So so how, how does that help you in, in leadership, not only in your military sector, but also um, in your own business that, that you and your wife run? Yeah. So it's, uh, you know, thinking about just peeling that back, it, it kind of start, starts at the top, whereas that you you take leadership, you know, different combat situations, different organizations with, uh, you know, different mission sets. You know, you know, I've been fortunate enough to have to deploy a couple of times and just to sacrifice the ops tempo, you know, working 12 hour days for six months straight. You know, so yeah. when you come back and bring that to business. It's nowhere near that level. So, you know, for me, it's like, okay, a lot of people, they get rattled, you know, they get, you know, stressed out. It's like, okay, nobody's shooting at us. We're all going home to eat with our family tonight. We good. I'm like, you know, you don't have to worry about running over IED or anything like that. You know, so it puts it in perspective for me. And so now you're able to navigate some stressful situation uh, with negotiations, all that stuff, whereas that you can keep a, a sense of calm. I think that's been the biggest translation that's come from the military and my philosophy with leadership that I've kind of brought to lead my own business now. Yeah. So what, what was it like um, growing up as a preacher's son? Oh, man, in church a lot. In church Wednesday nights, you know, all day on Sunday, some days, you know, with uh, uh-huh. with that. But it was good. You know, it, it grounded me. I mean, it made me into the man that I am today. Um, you know, when we start talking about serving leadership, you know, uh, just being, uh, you know, seeing the example my dad said, you know, with being a, a, a dedicated husband and father and everything that comes with that, with leading a family, you know, for it starts at home. And right. for me, you know, it's taking that principle and bringing it to the business world where a lot of times, man, you know, serving leadership, what, you know, everybody's all about, hey, how can I get get myself to the top? And, who, and you know, regardless of who I had to step on to get there. You know, whereas that it's, uh, you know, it's a different approach, whereas that it's abundance mindset, but you're not necessarily having to uh, undercut your peers or yeah. those in other positions in order for you to be successful in life. 
And I think that's the biggest takeaway for me, uh, you know, when you start talking about servant leadership. Yeah. So you, you talk a lot about the servant leadership aspect. And I served in the military as well. I was in the Army. Um, you know, don't don't knock me for that too bad. <laughs> oh, no, no, man. I, I'm, hey, I, I, I'm, I'm more purple than anything. I'm joint, you know, for I've served directly. Yeah, I did, too. Army, I did a lot guys, of joint forces. So, you know, and, we all you know, all one team. Yep, absolutely. But um, when you talk about servant leadership, I had the same mentality. Right. So I would go into any situation. And I'm going to treat the private with, with the same or airman in your case with, with the same respect that I would treat a general. And um, it, it did a lot for me and it got me a long way because everybody always saw me as somebody who got along. And I did that because I don't care what my rank is. I'm not going to demean you. I'm not going to talk down to you. Um, I'm going to get the job done. I'm going to be stern, you know, but fair. And so. I understand that mentality and it's definitely taking you a long way in your business. I see, I see how much you're doing. I see how much you're growing. And I know when you, you combine that, like you said, with your faith and not stepping on people, what, what type of things are, do you see your business doing that is in ministry? Because a lot of people don't realize how those can actually tie together. You don't have to be necessarily behind a pulpit to be in ministry. Right, right. No, that's a great that's a great question, man, because I think one of the things that we kind of we separate, you know, you know, showing up on Sunday and, you know, the religion aspect of what we believe. But I think, you know, taking those principles, you know, Monday through Saturday is where the rubber meets the road. And yeah. you really need to take that and be able to show people because there's, you know, across the board, you know, we're, you know, real estate investing is no different. Every house that we're buying, we're buying off market is always a challenge behind it. It's some person that has a challenge in their life that's going on, whether it's probate, whether it's a foreclosure because they lost their job, they can't pay the mortgage anymore. Mm -hmm. um, you know, maybe they were a landlord and they had to evict their tenant. They don't have the money to make the renovations. Um, you know, all those type of situations that, you know, is people that's having challenges, issues that allow you to come in and solve their problem. And I think that's one of the things, uh, the misnomer is that, you know, all your, your we're real estate investors that we're taking people's houses. It's like, you know, it's it's funny. It's like you can be, you can sign a great deal, but when you do it the right way, the person on the other side, the seller is even more happier than you are. Just some of the stories of just the relief wow. yeah. being, you know, done with the headache property or, you know, inherited a house, a loved one lived in that they can't even, they can't even walk in the house anymore. But just to have that baggage and burden off of them, they can start moving forward with their life. Um, you know, it, it, it's it's a ministry within itself, especially, you know, when you start talking about losing loved ones and the probate side of it, that it, it can get real personal quick. And, you know, and I think but that when you operate at the level of, uh, you know, being able to craft win win situations and solutions for people and you actually, you know, you want to see them win and have a positive situation like that, that. It always works out until it's good. And I think that's the biggest thing, just with being able to touch people's lives, you know, yeah. through those type of situations that you just kind of run across all type of, uh, you know, people that's hurt. Yeah, that's a great outlook, Johnny, because a lot of people look at real estate investing as um, only a means to, to build wealth or, uh, you know, acquire these assets and things like that. But rarely do you hear people talk about how much they're impacting other people's lives and helping those people you know, out of these situations that sometimes are tough. You know, you look at things like foreclosure that can impact somebody's life for pretty much forever, right? Even even to the point where they can't rent an apartment. You know, right. it's not just home. It's not just home buying, but if you save somebody, 
from going into foreclosure, you're really helping them out. Most definitely, man. I think, you know, if you start looking at the credit, you know, the impact on the credit, um, if the house sells for less than what they owe on it, the bank can go back after them for the remaining amount. And so it's just all those type of situations that, um, you know, you help people kind of navigate. And a lot of times they they don't know what what options they have. They don't know the different solutions that are out there to kind of give them a leg up, whereas that they don't have to just go through with foreclosure. And I think a lot of it's just the education piece. But then on the flip side that, you know, now, you know, that I built my team up a little bit more. And so, you know, I'm at the position now, whereas that I can start telling more people. Because for the longest, man, you know, the military, you got, you know, this or that going on. They want you to be a silent professional, you know, yeah. want to keep low profile on social media and things. And so for the longest, that was the way I approached everything. It was like, OK, I don't have to wait till I retire before I can start impacting people outside the military. And so the last kind of year has been yeah. that kind of transition for me. OK, so I'm glad you brought that up, too, because you're you're titled the military CEO. So one, I want to understand how did you get into uh, real estate? And then I kind of want to talk about how you balance that with the military, because it's not always easy being in the military just by itself, let alone, you know, running a company. Right, man. Most definitely. Most definitely. I think for me, I got into it from using my VA loan. So using that VA benefit that I had Mm -hmm. on my first property, you know, um, I kind of highlighted my book, just my my story. Whereas that, you know, coming out of college, had no clue about credit, didn't know anything about the stock market, real estate or any of that, the financial literacy, any of those peers to build a wealth that, you know, that you need in order to be successful um, from a financial standpoint. And for me, the most humbling thing was I had to have a family member to sign on my lease for my first apartment. Here I am going my first job and can't even get an apartment by myself because I, I, I didn't have the financial knowledge. And so for me, you know, that next year I got my credit up, you know, was paying, paying my credit card on time and all this stuff after I kind of got there. But then an opportunity came up where a good friend of mine found a duplex and yeah. uh, he's like, man, I'm going to buy one side. You need to get this other side. And it was like $300 cheaper than my rent. And, you know, I actually got paid money at closing um, with my VA loan because I didn't have to put any money down. And so, you know, from there, that just, you know, my antennas went up like, OK, how do how can I do this over and over again? And, you know, from there, just PCS and moving to different locations and just seeking out foreclosures and, you know, buying them, using my VA loan until that maxed out. And then by that point, at, we had just started buying rentals and uh, had started doing the fix and flips and then just kind of, you know, took off. And, you know, the the catalyst for us was Hurricane Michael uh, once it hit uh, in October 2018, the Panama City, Florida. Area. Okay. And like overnight, we had the thousands of dilapidated houses. That hit the market overnight. And, you know, over the, those few years leading up to that, we have been doing onesie, twosie, fix and flips. And, you know, ever since that point, we put a team together and have been executing ever since. Yeah. So what, what type of advice would you have for somebody just getting in uh, some, somebody young, not in age, but young and experienced, just getting into real estate or looking at wanting to invest and overcoming some of the. You know, the, the, the self-delimiting thoughts and things they may have. And the reason I bring that up is because while I was in the military, I had a first sergeant who had multiple properties. I want to say he had about eight or nine properties. And he was telling me that he would every time he PCS, he would purchase another home and he would rent it out. Well, at that time, I was young. I was yeah. I was spending I was spending my paycheck as soon as I got it, you know, things like that. So I, I was afraid to invest, even though I did have, you know, 
uh, benefits that I could have utilized, but I was still afraid and to, to step out. And it seemed like, you know, a big hurdle. Um, a lot of people in my family don't have these type of assets. So for me, it was new. So somebody in a situation like I was in, what, what type of advice would you give them so they could break out of that mold? No, that's a great question because a lot of people, they start with the position of don't have the knowledge and or they don't have a lot of finances they can dedicate to investing initially. You know, and so that's the piece that I always, you know, I start off with, you know, you got to own your primary residence before you okay. start investing um, in real estate. You need to own your primary residence for the simple fact that, that you know, instead of paying rent to a landlord every month, now you'll be paying down your own mortgage. Um, you're going to get the tax breaks, that the incentives that come with a home ownership. And you can get into a house if you're a veteran. You can get into a house, no money down. They just mm-hmm. released. The, they just got rid of the, the limit. So there's no limit on the purchase price um, that you can buy with your VA loan. Um, the second opportunity, if you're just a normal, regular civilian, you hadn't served, you got the FHA loan, three and a half percent down. And so those two products alone. And oh, by the way, you can buy all the way up to a four unit with the, those residential products. So, you know, that's the way that I, I, I encourage a lot of people to get started by owning their own residence. If you can get a duplex, triplex or quadplex yeah. that you can get with the FHA or VA loan um, from there, you know, you can move in. And if you don't, you're single, no kids living there a year and then you can move out and do it again and find another one. And wow. just and just kind of go go through that process um, before you start going. And like with me, I got into fixing flips because I wanted to generate more income to buy more rental properties. And so that was the strategy that that started me down that path. And now, you know, after buying an apartment building and kind of getting to that point, where is that now? Wait, so hold on, hold on one second. So you you plan to buy an apartment building, or you have an apartment building? Yeah, we have one. We have one. We picked up okay. one uh, back in June of twenty. And you was able, you was able to do that. Based off of raising capital, you're saying from your fix and flips, and then have more more uh, liquid assets, right? That you can then go and, and purchase something larger. Correct, correct. And uh, and on that specific apartment deal, we had to bring to the table two hundred and ten thousand, and so of that down mm-hmm. of that down payment, I ended up raising uh, ninety five thousand. So I didn't have to. My bank told me he's like, hey, as long as you put at least five percent down, you can raise the rest. And so what I ended up doing, I raised ninety five thousand. That essentially was just a second position loan um, for two months, for two years, excuse me. And so we're right now in the process of refinancing the apartment. We made all the renovations. We've executed the business plan. Um, we're at one hundred percent occupancy. And so now we've raised the income that the apartment's generating. We've lowered the expenses, and now we're gonna go refinance at the bank. I'm gonna pay off uh, the ninety five k investors, and uh, we've been paying them seven percent. Um, return on that money each year for the last uh, year and a half. And so now we're going to pay them off and I'm going to keep owning the asset into the future and the cash flow that comes with it. And, uh, you know, and that one was a, you know, it was a blessing, you know, to find that 18 unit deal. Um, it was on the MLS, but, you know, it was just the right opportunity. Um, and, okay. and, you know, and just moved into it. So how did you uh, get to the point of raising the money? Because I hear about you know, different things when people are trying to raise money, they either do like some type of syndication or they have uh, accredited investors. And uh, so which kind of route did you go about for getting your apartment complex? Yeah. So I have started raising money on the single family side for my fix and flip business um, was doing promissory notes. And so I would raise capital for like uh, individual projects. And so from that perspective, I, I was I was uh, kind of 
knowing about that side of it, but I didn't know about apartments. And the thing about it, before I put that offer in to buy it, I had went to a seminar that was teaching multifamily principles and it opened my eyes. And I was like, wow, I'm not that far off from buying an apartment building. And so like 45 days later is when I put in our letter of intent to buy it and purchase it. And so at that conference, I had, um, talked to an attorney that had wrote a book. I got her book and was just going through. And she was like, hey, you don't have to do a traditional syndication. You know, one uh, alternate way is to just raise a second position loan or a oh. second position debt that they will be behind the bank's mortgage. And so I was like, OK, cool. And you keep the equity. I'm like, that sounds good to me because I knew I wanted to keep the asset long term. I didn't want to do a syndication and then eventually sell in three to five okay. years. And so I went through there. I found, a, you know, some lenders that were, you know, wanted short term deals because most apartment syndications last for between three to five and some can go out to seven years. So yeah. it's a long term hold. But, you know, I, I found some people that were interested in doing a, uh, you know, a two year long. And kind of roll with it. And one of the things that, you know, and I tell people, one of the ways to level up in real estate and get there faster is by, you know, joint ventures and by partnering up with the right people. And so what I ended up doing, I brought a partner on instead of me having 100 percent equity. I gave him 18 percent of the equity to raise seventy five thousand. So I gave him 18 percent ownership. He raised seventy five thousand. And then I had a college buddy of mine. He came in with twenty thousand and I gave him five percent ownership of the apartment complex, too. And, uh, you know, and it worked out well. Right. Um, explain to us what a, a joint venture is. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Or JV. Yeah, so um, a joint venture is just is just simply like, uh, you know, you, you own your own house, your own property. But now, say, instead of you owning it 100%, okay. now you and two other individuals own it 33% um, each. And so that's all a joint venture is. And usually you use that model on a commercial property. So, uh, you know, whether it's a, a, a retail space or if it's a m- more than four units, it would be considered a commercial loan. And so you just set up an LLC mm-hmm. in the operating agreement. You have three owners that are, you know, own the shares to the company and you lay out the the procedures on how you're going to operate the business. You know, hey, when these different milestones happen in the business plan, how would things happen with refinance? How do we make decisions if it's a you know, does one person have one percent more than everybody else so they can make the final decision if it's a tie or any of those type of things? You just kind of lay that out in the paperwork um, that your lawyer draws up and you execute. But now, you know, you instead of you buying a, a 10 unit apartment, three of you buy it. And now instead of you having all the risk of ownership, now yep. you got a third of the risk. And now, you know, for as you bring all the down payment, now you got a third of the down payment that you have to bring. And, you know, and so from that perspective, if you had all the money to put it down on one property, why not put it in one in Atlanta, uh, you know, a third there, you know, put a third in Orlando and then put a third in Charlotte. Mm. Now, you're, now your real estate yeah. portfolio is diversified. Okay. And, you know, your risk is diversified. If something happened to one property, you're not going to lose all your income. Wow. OK. Makes a lot of sense. So some, something that you just mentioned was that you 
you were first doing single family homes and then you, you found out about the multifamilies and even apartments and investing in those during a seminar. And we actually met in Atlanta during a seminar, right? Yep. So somebody as knowledgeable as yourself, somebody as, as successful as yourself, you still see value in going to seminars. And so why is that? Man, professional development, you know, just the professional development side, just the networking side of it, man. You know, just me, you. I, if I hadn't been, came down for that event in Atlanta, we wouldn't have never, it's highly likely we would have never met. You yep. know, so that's the thing for me is the, the networking, you know, meeting other people that's operating, you know, in the same space um, that I'm interested in, you know, with entrepreneurship, real estate investing, or just, you know, business owners in general. Whereas that now you continue to stay abreast of what's new in the in the space when it comes to marketing, different trends. What are the, the movers and shakers doing at their level? What are other people doing that you're networking with? What are they doing in their market? Mm-hmm. And just from there, you're just continuing to grow. And I think that's the thing that, um, you know, drives me. Whereas that now just being able to invest in professional development because it's a game changer because it accelerates your journey so much. By being able to get information that you can take back and implement immediately, yeah, yeah. that is a game changer versus you just going on YouTube, trying to find it, reading a book and trying to find it out versus having, you know, talking to people that's implementing and making those connections and partnerships that can just accelerate um, your journey, whatever it is that you're choosing to do. Yeah, I oftentimes see, um, you know, having a mentor or something like that as a shortcut, right? They've already been through. Uh, the roadblocks and the hurdles, and they can just they they can give it to you a whole lot faster than you, like you said, trying to go to YouTube and research all this different stuff. To me, it's valuable. You know, I'm going to spend a little extra money, and I'm going to network at these seminars, get in touch with people who are either where I want to be or on the same path to where I want to be. At a, you know, so that way I'm surrounded by the right people. That's it, man. And they, your network is your network. And, you know, that's one of the things where I started coaching this year. And, man, I had one of my students got his first property in 10 days of the program, just taking action and doing, Ooh. you know, and just putting it in, putting it into work. And it's like, you know, I look back on when I did my first deal by myself. Yeah. You know, I had a project management background, so I knew how to put the team together and kind of manage and everything. But he's got me on tap. You know, we get together on a weekly Q&A. And I'm going through and giving him all the game and helping him navigate the project. And it's like, man, you you can't go wrong because, I, you know, with the, the the great thing about having a coach that's been there do, and where you're going and they're still in the game doing it, that, you know, it allows you to avoid all the mind, the, the pitfalls, all the mines in the road and all the yeah. potholes. And you can just accelerate and get there so much quicker. And, uh, and I think that's the thing that people, like you said, you know, when it comes to coaching and mentorship. That, well, that, that's that's one heck of a success story because you definitely helped him avoid some landmines by, you know, getting his first property within 10 days. I, I need to know more about your mentorship program because uh, that's awesome. Yeah, man, most definitely, most definitely. And, uh, you know, so I have an eight week coaching program. And that's one of the things I hired uh, three people in my business, whereas that I could take a step back. And now kind of more focus on, you know, being able to give back to more people to start coaching and, uh, you know, and just sharing the 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 successes that we we put in place, 
my yeah. fine fixed finished framework that I put together around real estate that I kind of took from the military, but brought that into the real estate investing piece with being able to find deals in order to fix them and then finish out and execute the uh, the disposition strategy on whether we're going to keep it as a rental or we're going to sell it and flip it. You know, just kind of go through that process, but packaging it up and helping people, but, you know, because like with my book that I wrote last year, man, um, they don't teach us this stuff in school. And so that's the biggest no, thing. Not at all. People can't people can't go out here and get this information. And it's sad when you look at one of the uh, you look at um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. One of yep. the five basic needs is shelter. And you go through all this schooling and they don't once teach you how to go buy your own house. You know how to go understand that process. Yeah. And everybody that graduates and leaves, they got to go. They got to. Everybody has to live somewhere, but they don't even bring that up or, at all. But uh-huh. we got to learn about you know the first president and all this and just you know geometry and things that you'll never use, um, you know, in your life. So, in your mentorship program, are you is, is it strictly about uh, fix and flips, or is it also including and investing in multifamilies and other things like that too? Yep, it's all encompassing, you know, whether the wholesaler side, because I teach you how to find off market deals, um, but you know, how to lead renovation projects. Oh, so wholesaling too. Yeah, yeah. So I talk oh. about wholesaling because all because it's it's all about commanding the deal. Cause in this market, if you can find a deal, you'll find mm-hmm. investors. And like my, my student that found that deal, I brought all the money to the deal. So I financed the deal and came in as a 50-50 partner. And then he's boots on the ground in Birmingham, Alabama, managing it. And I'm teaching him how to manage it. And, uh, you know, I make the interest payments to our lender. And, you know, we I think we got about seven days left before we finish up and we're going to list it on the market. You know, so just kind of going through that that process. And, you know, with all my students, we have a weekly Q&A where I answer okay. questions. You know, they submit their homework. They go through and, uh, you know, and I hold them accountable and help them develop their own marketing plan. And just now it's just a matter of execution. And then being able to have, you know, the right relationships where they don't have to worry about the financing, whereas that they can come through and kind of get their first deal done without having to go through and understand, hey, I don't have enough credit or I don't have enough cash in order to to fund the deal in order yeah. to get it done. So. So you're in the DMV area, correct? Yep. 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 Out in Loudoun County, outside yep. D.C. OK, so um, but, but you did this deal in Alabama. And so you're doing deals outside of your, your area, your current state. And uh, what other areas are you doing investments in? Yeah. So my primary market is Panama City, Florida. So we moved to the oh. DMV back in November of 20. And so we did. We got 11 projects uh, last year in 2021. And uh, oh. they were all virtual. They were all virtual deals. Oh. Um, I, you know, I have an acquisition manager there in Florida that's a realtor. And I have my primary contractor crew that's running deals there. And, uh, you know, we got a couple of properties under contract right now in St. Louis, too, um, that we got from a, uh, a wholesaler that was bringing okay. deals. And so now it's just really, man, being able to take the process and the system that I have and just show people that you can execute this stuff virtually if you build the team up right. And uh, you know what you're doing and know what to look out for. All right. So you're teaching your students also how to how to protect themselves, what you're saying. Yes, that's that's your number one goal is an investor, whether it's real estate, stocks, bonds or whatever it is, is to manage risk. And so as an investor, your number one job is to manage risk, especially when you're dealing with your own money. You want to manage that risk and lower that as much as possible. Okay. So um, t- tell me a little bit about how you're managing it. Um, by being the military CEO, how are you managing it with such a demanding career? 
Yeah, man, it, it, it gets tough, you know, because I'm married, you know, got three beautiful kids. And, uh, you know, so work during the day. Oh. And so for me, I started with systems for day one. I had to have the systems in place because I knew my time wasn't my own. And so from there, it's just a matter of hiring quality people that's professionals that know what they're doing. Um, you know, you don't have to know everything starting off. Um, yeah. You already know in the military, you know, you may have a brand new lieutenant coming in there. And, you know, from day one, you're in charge of, you know, the, the sergeant major. That's an E-9. Yeah. From a rank perspective, but that E-9, you know, that sergeant major got 30 years and you got six months of experience. Yeah. You know, so that's the thing, just knowing that, hey, I'm in charge. This is my project, but I'm not the professional here. And I'm hiring the right people that have the right skill set in order to make the improvements to the property. So it'll sell for X amount. And so that's the thing with me is like, you know, having the right system in place, you know, mm -hmm. hiring the right team members. And so now while I'm working, my team is executing, you know, whether it's my, my VA that I have in the Philippines, that's doing my own lead generation. He gets something on the con, he gets a, somebody motivated to sell. He sends that lead directly to my acquisition manager. She calls him, sets an appointment, walks the property mm -hmm. and gives them the offer um, based off the renovations. And then, you know, they, we turn it over to the contractor team and uh, they get the work done. And, you know, we just I kind of sit back, manage. I talk with them or my wife does during the day. She she holds she's the glue during the week um, for us paying for things, <laughs> depot, yeah. you know, paying the utilities, you know, working with inspectors and all that stuff. You know, so it's a lot of people orchestrating, moving behind the scenes, you know, to make me look successful, you know, with executing the business. So, man, you, you definitely, like you said, you got that project management piece down. I can see you uh, apply a lot of those skill sets. So do you, do you see this going long term with managing both or do you see a transition, you know, coming soon? Um, probably, probably not soon enough. I got about three and a half years left before retirement. Oh, so, you know, yeah, you don't want to blow the retirement. You're too close. Yeah, yeah. It's right around the around the corner. And yeah. uh, we're in a great situation. Whereas that, you know, we're probably we're probably not going to have to move again before that time is up. We'll be here in this area, which is great okay. you know, for us. The kids, you know, having, you know, four years since in one school, you know, we may stay here long term. And then that way they kind of go into high school. My oldest going to high school all four years, you know, because with military, as you get more senior, you know, you're at the needs of the military. And so yeah. you could be moving around every two, three years. And that's just hard on the family, you know, picking kids up and moving them across the country you know, away from their friends and then away from family. And, you know, I think all the sacrifice they made up until this point, it makes sense to just, hey, say, hey, 20 years of service is, is great. And then just kind of transition to, you know, doing this more, um, you know, picking up the coaching side of it to help more people, you know, kind of build wealth and be the best CEO of their last name. Yeah, but that's a, that's a great plan and strategy because to have those benefits and then that retirement income as a, as a second um you know, another source, basically, um, you know, we talk about the seven streams of income, and that's a solid one to have right there is that, you know, that good retirement income. So you, you said you have three children. Are they boys, girls? Yes. Yeah, so my oldest is a boy, uh, eight. He'll be nine here in March. Um, my daughter is the middle child. So she's six. And then yeah. my youngest son, Jace, um, he's three. And so okay. that's the, our, my, my three headed monster. All right. So aside from the three year old, but the two older ones, how, how do they take with the business? Are they participating? Are they learning a lot? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. When we were boots on the ground in Panama City, you know, we were everybody in the house. We would be in the houses. You know, you'll see them on like the old videos running around. Yeah. Um, you know, so they love that piece of it. Even now, 
being detached from it. You know, they're down in the office with me. You know, you'll see them all running around on Instagram videos or something that I posted there in the office. You know, they're they're understanding, you know, the process of owning, you know, real estate and passive income. And so, you know, it's just always a teaching moment with them. And so now they kind of see it. And so that's how, you know, I, I looked and build that legacy for them and my grandkids. It's like, OK, this is how it's going, because one of the things that, you know, that I found, you know, we write my book last year is that 88 percent of, mil- of millionaires are first generation. They didn't inherit a large mm. sum of wealth. Yeah. But which tells me that all the previous millionaires that they some their, their wealth got lost somewhere. If 88 percent had to build it, their first generation, then the other generation before them, it got lost. And so that's one of the things that, you know, I want to make sure is that my legacy is when I hand it down to them, that they have the knowledge and the skill set to preserve it and where it yeah. continues to keep rolling over um, long term. Yeah. And, and I'm sure that's going to stick with them because they're being surrounded by it. They're soaking it in. They're seeing it so much the same way you being raised by a preacher and being a preacher's son. Right. That word gets in you, whether you try to uh, rebel or deflect or anything like that. Right. Because, um, you know, the Bible says you, you raise a child the way you go. You won't depart from it. So, yep. you know, regardless of what you want, those kids are watching you. They're being exposed to so much with, um, you know, the investing mm-hmm. side and the wealth building side and running a business. It's, it's definitely soaking into them. So you're you're going to have some awesome uh, kids and, you know, great generations to come. Yeah, man, it's, it's definitely a, it's definitely a blessing, you know, just to see the journey and the process. And, you know, and that's the biggest thing is just, you know, a lot of times you can get kind of lost in the sauce with chasing success. You know, I see in the military where people, they they chase and rank, you know, they're trying to chase the next promotion, the next job. And then they get to the end and then they lose their family. Um, you know, mm. the family don't know who they are, you know. And so I, I always said that I didn't want to be that guy where is that I'm all in on the, the business, but I lose my family behind it. Or, you know, the people that I care about, you know, the, my friends and still being able to to kind of lead that's the, the life and be able to be relevant to those that I care about. And so I think that's the biggest thing that people has. To, they have to realize with success is that you define it. You define your success. And you can't let other people's success definition of success, um, you know, impact you or make you feel, you know, greater than what you are or lesser than what you are, you know, because of what they they want for you. You know, so, you know, if 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 you want to run a nonprofit or yeah. if you, you know, we, we we're in a circle with a lot of entrepreneurs. But, you know, I don't like I don't shame people that want to work a nine to five. That's cool. If you love what you're doing, you're helping people, you know, you're energized by your job. Then by all means, you should keep your job. Yeah. But, you know, you should do you should be an investor and you should be creating multiple streams of income as well, um, you know, as you're going through. But I think, you know, that's one of the biggest things that people need to understand that whatever their dreams, passions are, you know, you define your success, figure out what it is, and then now live on purpose in order to go out and achieve. Yeah, that's right. I'm, I'm glad you talk about defining your own success and in your own terms, because so often we're, we're we're blinded by the shiny things and the glitz and the glamour that especially what's going on, you know, so much right now with social media. But you can be successful in so many different aspects in different ways. And you prove that day in and day out by being in the military. Like I said, one of the most demanding and challenging careers there are. And you're still 
a very successful investor and CEO and, and coach and, and trainer and all this other stuff. But um, you're able to, to manage and balance all of that. So people out there can definitely accomplish it, too. Most definitely. You know, and no, none of us are any smarter than anybody else. A lot of times, you know, from just talking to other successful people, they just got they got they got better information. They got information yeah. that, that we didn't have. And so that's one of the things that my job is. It was like now, how do I get the information out to people and the ones that serious that actually want to take it to heart and mm -hmm. implement, you know, and give them everything they need to do um, to be successful and just kind of, you know, and just share the share the journey because it's not always roses. You know, and, and yeah. unicorns and you have your challenging days where you may have to put in 12, 14 hours. You get off work and you got to work six more hours. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so it, it comes with sacrifices. But when you understand that, hey, building generational wealth and you're doing it for, you know, those kids running around playing that, uh, you know, it, it gives you everything that you need in order to kind of grind through those tough moments and then, you know, reap the benefits on the back end. Well, this is Success Leads Clues podcast. So I got a thing I like to do. I like to point out a couple of clues uh, throughout that I that I got from, um, you know, our conversation. And then I'm quite sure the audience will pick up on a lot more than that. But, um, you know, one, one thing I caught right off the bat uh, early is your faith and, you know, your connection with the Lord. And, and I know that fuels you and helps strengthen your family. So that's a major clue. Um, another thing that you talk about is mentorship and investing in yourself by taking, you know, courses, seminars and different things like that. And not only do you take them, but you offer this training, you offer mentorship back. So it's not that you just talk about it. It's something that you're actively doing as well. And then, um, the third thing you mentioned that's also major is, is family and defining success. Because I think a lot of times we can get caught up in, um, you know, the, the race and, and trying to reach a level of success based off of somebody else's, you know, uh, perception or, you know, the, the way they've defined it and not really being true to ourselves. Because believe it or not, everybody may not want to be a millionaire, especially once you get on that journey to it and you start realizing, you know, it's, it's a lot of work. So um, you can be just as successful, you know. With, with a lesser income and still live a happy life. So those are just a few things that I've noticed. And um, I'm quite sure everybody watching and listening will point out, you know, a lot of other things. No, man, I, I, I agree. You hit the nail right on the head, man. You know, that's those, those are the most important things. And, you know, I think, you know, is just take action. You know, the only thing that, that separated me and got me to where I'm at is just, you know, taking action and bending on myself and, you know, and, not not taking no or failure um, as an mm -hmm. option. Absolutely. So on that note, uh, I want to remind everybody out there, if you can dream it, you can achieve it. Until next time on Success Leads Clues Podcast. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.